Please be seated. Whenever I see a, a bandaged hand or something, I always, I always like to think it was something heroic, you know. An intruder came in and uh, right crossed the jaw on defending family. And, uh, uh, but I, I have to tell you, I saw, I'm not stealing your thunder, I hope. I get to preach today, so that's okay. Um, Josh was running up the stairs to make sure the cookies didn't burn, just so you know. And trip, that's heroic. Yes. It's funny, all the different things. We, I'm sure we could tell stories about different injuries we've all had and probably be about the same kind of importance level. But anyway, um, just wanted to get that off, the, off today so that you knew why he was injured. So you can give sympathy and cards and stuff later. So. Money, money if you want money. So. What? Cookies, cookies, that's good. Okay. A man named Stephen Covey wrote a best-selling book entitled Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How many of you have read that? Okay, good. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It was a great book filled with practical wisdom, sound advice, and a lot of truth. While the Bible, which is actually the best-selling book of all times, is a book of truth, practical wisdom, and sound advice. And the part we're studying today in James has given us a lot to consider. Today's topic is seven habits of unhealthy behavior. Now, take some explanation. First of all, when we look at our lives, we discover that we have imperfections. Okay? We're not all perfect. Now, a certain percentage of us, of every group that I've been a part of, uh, like, like to be known as or are known as perfectionists. They like perfection. They like to think they're perfect. They strive for perfection. But the reality is, None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. Uh, we all have some unhealth in our lives. No human being is perfect. Now, physically, we all have flaws. As we get older, our body parts, our knees, our hips, our backs, even our brains begin to show signs of wear. We cover the flaws, repair the flaws, and, and Botox the imperfections. Then there's character. There's character. We all have flaws in our character. None of us is perfect, and we get to know that the closer we get to other people. Spiritually, we also experience shortcomings. So an established fact that none of us is perfect. We all have defects. We're all defective. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came to bring healing, wholeness, and restoration to our defective and imperfect lives. As we've gone through James, James has given us some practical guidelines for our spiritual journey, our faith journey, our walk that each of us are on. We've talked about enduring trials, tough times dealing with temptation. We've talked about materialism, talked about the genuine versus the fake. We've talked about favoritism. We've talked about the dangers and power, both, both positive and negative, of speech. Talked about the pursuit of pleasure. A lot of things that are very practical to our daily lives. And today, James gives us additional guidelines for relational and spiritual health. Relational and spiritual health. And none of us is perfect. We all have issues. But we do not have to carry those defects 
to the extreme. In other words, we don't have to make those unhealthy habits habits. We don't have to make habits of unhealthy behavior. So today we're going to look at seven habits of unhealthy behavior. And uh, I'd like you to turn with me, if you were to James 4. James, the fourth chapter, it's on page 979 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Um, James 4, we're going to look at verses 11 to 17. James 4, 11 to 17. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do do it, sins. A little bit of odd things in that chapter, but we'll try to unpack that as best we can. Talking about habits, the first two habits James addresses have to do with the tongue, the tongue, speech or words. Now, when we looked at chapter 3, James was very strong on, on the tongue and speech, and now he hits it again. He hits it again. And the first habit is what? The first habit is slander, slander, which is speaking evil against people. It says, don't slander. Slander means to malign or to disparage people, to speak evil against people or speak bad of someone. Now, most of us, when we think about slander, think of it as saying something bad about someone else that's not true. And it does include lies and untruths. But slander can also include things that are true. They can be true. True or false, he says, do not say anything evil about someone. The old saying, if you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. Most of us think it's okay to pass along negative information about someone as long as it's true. It's true. Isn't that our moral responsibility, keeping people informed? Well, lying, yes, that's immoral, immoral, but what about damaging truths? Well, just like gossip, just like gossip, which is sometimes false, usually exaggerated, but sometimes true, slander is speaking against someone, diminishing one's reputation. True or false is slander. It's slander. And it's a habit of destruction. He said, don't. He said, don't do it. Do you have any information or know something about someone else that's negative? See, our words are very powerful. He says, put it in check. Stop it. The first habit he says to not do, to stop doing, is slander. It's a habit of highly unhealthy behavior. A second habit is, number two, is criticism. Criticism, putting people down. Do you know that the better acquainted you become, the better you know each other, the more you can find to criticize? (laughs) 
We find out familiarity breeds contempt, or familiarity can also breed criticism. The better we know each other, the more we can find to, to criticize. And criticism is one of the most destructive forces anywhere. Whether it's in a family, it's in a, in a relationship, it can be in a company, it can be in a group, it can be in a church. And criticism can be as subtle as just minimizing a person's virtues. Minimizing a person's virtues or diminishing an accomplishment. It can be a subtle put-down or sarcasm, or it can be just an outright attack. So criticism can be a wide variety of, of things. And God, through James, forbids any speech that puts someone else down. He says, don't do it. Don't do it. Why do we criticize? Why do we criticize? I, sometimes it's because of the need to elevate our own selves. When we put someone else down, we think we elevate ourselves. Or we show how intelligent or how well thought we are. You know, critical thinking. Critical thinking is good. Examining with the intellect under the direction of the Holy Spirit, that's good. We need to be astute and we need to be wise. But when critical thinking turns selfish and personal, it can become very, very destructive. It can turn into criticism of another person. It might be a leader, a coworker, a child, a parent, a brother, a sister, a spouse. When we see a fault in someone, what is our first instinct? When we see a fault in somebody, what's our first instinct? Is it to criticize or to pray for them? That's that's a question. I see something wrong with somebody. The first instinct is to speak negatively instead of, maybe I should be praying for him. Now, let me just, just do a note, a note here about not being too critical of self. Self. Self-criticism can be very destructive. Some people never examine their lives. They just kind of go on. But some people examine every part of their lives under a microscope. And these people don't need someone else to criticize them. They do a great job of criticizing themselves. That also is unhealthy. Self-criticism is not healthy. Examination is fine, but not self-criticism. So criticism, it's negative. It, it dwells on the negative, always on the negative. Philippians 4.8 says this. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Think positive and speak positive. That's scriptural. Not criticism, but positives. Now, everybody thinks a little different. The pessimist looks and it says the glass is half empty. The optimist says, the glass is half full. The engineer says, the glass is twice the size it should be. And the theologian says, the glass is full if you have enough faith. All different ways to look at the same glass. We need to ask God to help us if our first instinct is criticism. He can and he will. So criticism, the habit of highly unhealthy behavior. The third, the third unhealthy behavior that James addresses is judgmentalism. Judgmentalism, putting people in their place. And of course, we know the place where they ought to be. Just like there's a difference between critical thinking and criticism, there's a difference between judging and 
judgmentalism. It's very important that we understand the difference between judging and judgmentalism. In Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Jesus is talking to the, on the Sermon of the Mount. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And he uses an illustration of exaggeration. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What is Jesus talking? He's talking about judgmentalism here. Now, he's talking to people who use a different standard to judge others than they judge themselves. Or the fact that they really were disqualified from offering judgment because they were in a far worse position. They had this plank trying to remove a little speck. By the use of exaggeration, Jesus illustrates the point that he says, you've got a log in your eye. You're trying to get the speck of sawdust out of his eye. He says, get your own life together first. Look first what you have. And whatever standard you judge others with will be the same standard with which you will be judged. Ah, that's what it is. So if, I, if I'm measuring judgment or judging somebody, it's the same measure I will be judged with. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't judge at all. Some people quote this and say, don't, don't draw conclusions, don't judge. Let's, let's try to find some balance. We are to judge. In Matthew 7, 15, it says, watch out for false prophets, judgments. Verse 16 says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. In other words, make judgments, but don't be judgmental. Not judgmentalism, it's making judgments. One of the, one of the illustrations that, that we can look at in Scripture is in 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians. The book of Corinthians was written to a church that had all kinds of issues. And one of the issues that Paul addresses in chapter 5 was there was immorality by a, a member of the church that was, that was, that was gross well-known and unconfronted. And as a matter of church discipline, Paul writes in verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? And that's a rhetorical question of the expected answer of yes. He said, God will judge those outside. He says, expel the wicked man from among you. Now, this has to do with drawing judgments on Christians, people, part of the body of Christ, who are living in open immorality. And he says, you have to draw judgments. You're not being judgmental. You're, you're judging them because they're living in open immorality and profaning the name of Jesus. Now, in that same sense, we have to be very careful not to judge open sin in the community out there. We, we are called, Christians are are called many times that we, are, we judge everybody. We're, we have judgmentalism. Well, we're not to judge the people outside the body of Christ. Not at all. We must be very careful. Ultimately, God will judge them. We have to keep our hearts pure before God. And let me give us an illustration. In Genesis 18 and 19, probably one of the most blatant um, examples of sin in the world that we find in the Bible. It's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, cities full of immorality and sexual perversion. And, and there's no question that these people are living this horrible lifestyle. But before this chapter, 
there's a conversation between God and Abraham. And, and God and Abraham are talking about this. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were living in gross sin. They were sinners doing what sinners do. They were sinning. They were doing awful things. But judging them wasn't Abraham's job. It was God's job. And what did God tell Abraham? God said, you know what? I will spare the city if I find ten righteous in the city. Ten righteous. He didn't find ten righteous. So he destroyed the city. That was God's job, God's evaluation. He judged and sent destruction on them. Our job is to be the righteous in the city. Not to judge the sinners. Not to judge people out there that are doing what comes normal and natural to them in their ungodly state. Our job is not to judge them. Our God is to be righteous and to be holy and make sure that we have a right relationship with God. Matthew 5.16, Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. He says, be light. Now, we are called to judge those in the community of faith. We are to hold each other accountable to confront sin and deal with immorality. That part of judging is our responsibility within the church, the body of Christ, people who are part of the body of believers. Judging, yes. Judgmentalism, no. That's attempting to put people in their place. And arrogant judgmentalism, it's a habit of highly unhealthy behavior. Does that make sense? You get the difference between judging and judgmentalism? It's a big difference, big difference. Okay, number four, condemnation. Condemnation, which is drawing conclusions about people. That's the result of judgmentalism. When we're judgmental, we draw conclusions about people. We put people in their place. We categorize them. We, we draw conclusions and condemn them. They say they deserve, finish the sentence. These four habits, slander, criticism, judgmentalism, and condemnation are profoundly destructive to relationships, to the church, and to our spiritual life. And James makes some strong statements about what we do in practicing these habits. He's talking to people that are doing this, okay? And he says, this is what happens in verses 11 through 12. He says, when you, when you judge the law, you are not keeping it by sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? What is he saying? He's saying that we do two things. When we stand in judgment, first of all, we elevate ourselves above the law. He says, you elevate yourself above the law. We're saying, I don't need the law. I can do better. I set myself as judge. Or we elevate myself above God. Or we can say, we say, I can do better than God. He says, there's only one lawgiver and judge. That's God. And if I act in judgmentalism, I'm saying, I know better than God. I can do a better job. That's eh, a little arrogant. <laughs> Instead of standing in judgmentalism, Stand before God and say, God, just be merciful to me, because I'm a sinner too. In Matthew 10, 28, he says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Elevating myself above God. 
That's what we do when we judge and condemn, point fingers at people. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Strong language. The fifth habit, fifth habit that James talks about is presumption. Presumption or assuming. Assuming. Verse 13. So now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, James was probably writing to people who had become successful. Look, it sounds like they were successful in business. They were self-made. They were successful. And what happens when we get successful? What happens when we get successful? When everything goes really well, we kind of forget God. We forget God. We presume. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You don't know what's going to happen. You've heard the saying, life is uncertain. Eat dessert first. Life is uncertain. We, we don't know. We don't know. We like certainty. We like to plan for certainty. The problem is we begin to count on certainty instead of God. We plan. And should we plan? Sure. Proverbs says man makes his plan, but the Lord directs his steps. We presume. The fact is, we don't even know what's going to happen five minutes from now. We have no clue. We have no clue. We're like the man in Luke 12 who had such a successful farmer. He, he would tear down his barns and he put up bigger ones and said, I'm going to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. See, life is uncertain. James asked the question, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while, then vanishes. You are a mist that appears for a while, then it vanishes. One of the most consistent and predictable weather patterns in the Seattle area, we learned there, living there for a long time, is morning fog and afternoon sun. Morning fog, afternoon sun. It's just, it happens all the time. And when you look at that, it's like we're like the fog. Here in the morning, gone in the afternoon. There's no sign of having even been there. No sign of even having been there. Presuming. Psalm 39.5 says, You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my life is nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. How long is a breath? <laughs> How long is a breath? Not very long. It's pretty short, pretty uncertain. And James says to us, Include God in your thinking and your plans. Say, if it is the Lord's will. Now, I'm not talking about if it's the Lord's will, God will answer prayer. That's a whole other whole thing. But if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to not presume that I know better than God. There's an old practice the Puritans and early Methodists adopted. It's a Latin phrase, God willing, which says Deo Valente. Deo Valente. And in letters of correspondence, they shortened the term Deo Valente to D-V. And they signed all their letters with DV, which meant, if God wills. So they'd send a letter and say, we're going to come DV, if God wills. 
If God wills, should be part of everything we do so we don't have presumption. Presumption. The sixth habit of highly unhealthy behavior is boasting. Boastings. James takes them and us to task saying that we boast and break. Essentially, we say, look what I've done apart from God. <laughs> look what I've done apart from God. The same independent spirit that says, I go my way. God, bless my plans. Lord, look what I've done. And we don't like arrogant people. That's why we learn very early on to not appear arrogant. We don't, we don't want to do that. But this addresses an attitude of boasting, an internal state of being, visible or invisible. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul writes, For who makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Boasting. Boasting. Unhealthy. Unhealthy habit. The seventh habit is omission. Omission. Very quickly, omission is knowing the good to do and not doing it. Knowing the good to do and not doing it. Verse 17, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Now this, this, is, a, this is a huge topic. One definition of sin is hamartia, which means missing the mark. It's like you shoot at a target and you miss. We have sins of commission, which we're much more familiar with. And then there are the sins of omission, a lot harder to nail down. Things that we were supposed to do and we didn't do. And this, it addresses the sin of omission, missing the mark. The question is, is God calling you to do something and are you doing it? Is God calling us to do something and are we doing it? If we do not do what God tells us to do, it's a sin of omission, sin of omission. How many times a day do we know the right thing to do and do it? Ah, guilty, guilty. Seven habits. So what are we to do? This, this is one of those passages you get to the end of it and you go, oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. I, I, what, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to make up for all this stuff? Well, there's a story of a man who died and went to heaven. And, of course, St. Peter met him just outside the pearly gates. And Peter said to him, here's the deal. You need 100 points to make it into heaven. He says, you tell me all the good things you've done, and I'll give you a certain number of points for each item. And depending on how good it was, when you reach 100 points, you get in. Sound fair? Yeah. He said, okay. He said, okay, I was married to the same woman for 50 years and never cheated on her. That's wonderful, St. Peter said. That's worth, that's worth three points. He said, three points? He said, okay. Well, I attended church all my life, supported his ministry, a tithes in my service, did all kinds of stuff in church. Peter said, terrific. That's worth one point. He said, one point? Okay. He said, well, I started a soup kitchen in my city. I worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. He said, fantastic. We'll give you two more points. He said, only two points? He was exasperated. He said, at this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. And Peter said, bingo, 100 points. Come on in. The grace, the grace of God. As we look at James, practical guidelines, there are all kinds of ways we fall short. It's only by the grace of God that we are right before God. 
It's not, we can't look at this and say, okay, make, let's make a list of things I don't do. And if I can don't do all these things, then I'll make it into heaven. I'll get 100 points. No. We're going to all fall short in any number one of these things. I would venture to say that we all do some of these seven habits. That's why the passage is in the Bible to tell us that. And so we see our need for God. We can be aware of all these seven bad habits. We can try on our own to correct all of them and live above them. But ultimately, we can only overcome by the grace of God and by the power of his Holy Spirit. It's his strength and his strength that we have the power to reject these, these destructive practices so that they don't become habits. Okay? We want to make sure they don't become habits. So then we can live in relational and spiritual health with God and people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, you don't whitewash stuff. You, you tell us the way it is. And I pray that as we look at the things that James said, there's a reason that's in there. We needed to know what he had to say. And I just pray, God, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak to us. And God, that you would make us godly people. Not by our strength, but by your grace alone. That your Holy Spirit would accomplish that in us. And we thank you. Let's stand.